we're going to be continuing in our series, Just Like Us, where we look at people in the Bible whose lives were filled by faith. We have already seen characters whose faith endured. They had faith that acted, faith that is fearless, and today we're going to be looking at faith that is obedient. So in Hebrews 11, we see lots of people mentioned for their acts of faith. And today we're going to be looking in, we're going to hone in to verse 7. It says, By faith Noah, when warned about things not yet seen, in holy fear, built an ark to save his family. By faith he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness that is in keeping with the faith. So we're going to be talking about Noah this morning. Now you might remember singing songs about Noah or um, learning about him at school. The animals went in two by two. Hurrah. It's in your head now. I know it will be playing out. But I wanted to start off by having a quick overview of Noah and also see how his story is mentioned in the New Testament too. So Noah's story we see in the Old Testament. So that's the first part of the Bible. So Noah was marked as somebody special right from birth. In Genesis 5, verses 28 to 29, it says, Lamech lived 182 years and became father of a son. Now he called his name Noah, saying, This one will give us rest from our work and from the toil of our hands arising from the ground which the Lord has cursed. So Lamech is Noah's dad, and he didn't leave it that long to have his first son. He left it 182 years. That for us, that's a really long time. But in those days, people lived a lot, lot longer. So he was, he was quite young. So his wife gave birth to her first son, and they called him Noah, which means rest or comfort. And it seems right from the start, Lamech knew that Noah was going to be a very special person. And even at this stage in the Old Testament, in the stories that we can read, we can see that people were tired of the curses, of the condemnation that was on the earth, and they were looking for being saved. They were looking for deliverance. In Genesis 6, verse 8 to 9, we read, But Noah found favour in the eyes of the Lord. This is the account of Noah. Noah was a righteous man, blameless among the people of his time, and he walked with God. So out of the whole earth, every single person, we know that the land was cursed. But one person found favour with God. That was Noah. It was said that he was a righteous or a just man, blameless among the people of his nation, of his time. And that doesn't mean that he was sinless. The Bible says that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. But here is a man who had real heart for God. In his character, he was a godly man. Now in another part of the Old Testament, in Ezekiel, we see that the nation of Israel was exceedingly sinful and at the point of judgment. God even said that if three specific men were pleading for the nation, that they could only save themselves and not the whole nation, not their communities. God lists those three people in terms of their walk and their righteous life. That's Noah, Job, and Daniel. So Noah was living at a time when some really wicked things were going on. So we're going to have a look now at Genesis 6, verses 5 to 22. The Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart 
was only evil continually. And the Lord regretted that he made man on the earth, and it grieved him to his heart. So the Lord said, I will blot out man whom I have created from the face of the land, man and animals and creeping things and birds of the heavens, but I am sorry that I have made them. But Noah found favour in the eyes of the Lord. These are the generations of Noah. Noah was a righteous man, blameless in his generation. Noah walked with God. And Noah had three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Now the earth was corrupt in God's sight, and the earth was filled with violence. And God saw the earth, and behold, it was corrupt. For all flesh had corrupted their way on the earth. And God said to Noah, I have determined to make an end of all flesh, for the earth is filled with violence through them. Behold, I will destroy them with the earth. Make yourself an ark of gopher wood. Make rooms in the ark and cover it inside and out with pitch. This is how you are to make it. The length of the ark, 300 cubits. Its breadth, 50 cubits. And its height, 30 cubits. Make a roof for the ark and finish it to a cubit above. And set the door of the ark in its side. Make it with lower, second and third decks. For behold, I will bring a flood of waters upon the earth to destroy all flesh in which is the breath of life under heaven. Everything that is on the earth shall die, but I will establish my covenant with you. And you shall come into the ark, you, your sons, your wives, and your sons' wives with you. And every living thing of all flesh, you shall bring two of every sort into the ark to keep them alive with you. They shall be male and female, of the birds according to their kinds, and of the animals according to their kinds, of the creeping things of the ground according to its kind. Two of every sort shall come to you to keep them alive. Also take with you every sort of food that is eaten and store it up. It shall serve as food for you and for them. Noah did this. He did all that God commanded him. Ooh, there's some hard-hitting things in that passage, aren't there? God regretted that he made man. That's tough. That's a real, that's a real mouthful, that is. He was really specific, too, about the size of the ark and who Noah was to bring on the ark with him. He was also really specific about what he was going to do to the earth. And Noah was obedient. He did all that God commanded him. Now the environment that Noah was living in was rampant in demonic activity, sexual immorality, violence, corruption, constant wicked thoughts and resistance to God. I wonder if you're thinking, oh, thank goodness those days are behind us. That sounds rough. I see that some of these things are still happening now and they're getting worse. Then moving into the New Testament in 1 Peter, we see that Peter calls Noah a preacher of righteousness. Noah's message would have been really simple to the people around him. A great flood is coming. God is going to judge the world. Everyone who believes and acts by entering the ark will be saved. Three sentences. Now there was only one door to the ark in that description uh, that we've just read. It says you will build a door. There was only one way to come in. 
anyone who accepted that invitation to be saved would have been saved. And we too have a very familiar message that is one of everlasting life and not one of eternal judgment. In John 10, verse 9, Jesus says, I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved. Jesus is the way. When we believe in Jesus and live a life full of obedience and faith in him, we have eternal life in the glory of God. So I've got two points that I'd like to share this morning. Walk the talk and eye on the prize. Remember those hopefully. So walk the talk, we'll start there. Real faith will always do something. Susanna shared in her testimony this morning that people were filled by faith to provide meals for her, to go against what she was saying, that she was alright, she was self-sufficient, knowing her well enough, listening to God, we are gonna love you and we're gonna prepare meals for you. The book of James repeats this theme about real faith acting over and over again. Noah's faith influenced his practice. It moved him to prepare an ark. His faith condemned the unbelief of others. And his obedience condemned their contempt and rebellion. Good examples of faith either convert sinners or condemn them. And this shows too of how believers being warned of God to flee from the wrath to come are moved with holy fear. They take refuge in Jesus and become heirs of the righteousness of faith. Now one thing that really strikes me about Noah's story is how he just kept on going. He ignored those around him. And I tell you what, all those things, they would have been really obvious. Man, you're being really violent to one another. I don't want to be a part of that. You've got the sexual immorality around that. You've got wicked thoughts, no thank you. But he kept going. He ignored all of that around him. Noah's life measured up to the message that he was giving. He was a man who walked with God. He preached not just with words, but with his life. Now, a lot of people call themselves Christians, or they might tick that box on the census every time it comes around, is it 10 years, I think. But yet, they aren't overly interested in God. And their lifestyle and their actions speak very differently to what they are claiming. I wonder if our lives measure up to us being believers of Jesus. Would the person that you are wanting to talk to and share the good news about Jesus know that you're being authentic? Noah had this message from God that God was going to send this flood for around 100 years before the flood came. That's a really long time to stay on that course, to ignore everything that is going on, to not give in to the temptations and the environment that he was living amongst. Could you imagine? It wouldn't have been easy building an ark. He had a little bit of help from his family, but there weren't many of them. We know he had three sons and they had wives and he had his wife. It would have taken physical strength and energy. And I bet he would have had his fair share of splinters and bruises as well. It would have been a lot of manual labour. But he wasn't just faithfully and obediently doing the manual labour. He was faithfully and obediently preaching the message of God. He was giving everything spiritually as well as physically. 
He walked with God. He was so close to God. He'd been having lots of conversations with God throughout his day. And he was sharing with people around him what was going to happen to them if they didn't turn away from their sin. They were going to die. Noah's story and the flood is mirrored in what Jesus did and continues to do for us today. Jesus came, Josh touched on this at the very beginning of the service. Jesus came and said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If we don't believe in Jesus, accept that he died for us, confess our sins, confess the things that are not to the glory of God, they're not pleasing to God, we will die. We will have an eternal life of judgment. Now sometimes we put in a lot of effort to share the gospel with our friends and family. And it's a slog. Sometimes it happens really quick. They're like, yes, I believe in that man Jesus and I give my life. That's amazing. I'm all for my friends that do that. Thank you ever so much. But a lot of the time, it's a journey. Now God may not have told you to build an ark. He might not have told you that he's going to send a flood to North Hall. But he has told us to build his church here. Now whether or not you were part of the team that started planting Freedom Church, or you have joined us since, we all have a role to play in building God's kingdom here in North Hall. Perhaps like me and my family, God will ask you to go and plant again. Perhaps it will be Birmingham with us. That would be very lovely. Maybe Wytherinsey, Scarborough. They'd be quite nice by the sea. Perhaps it will be the Middle East. Japan, India, France. Wendy's laughing. We'll see what God does there. We want to reach all the nations, that's all communities, to tell them about Jesus. Now it is hard planting a church, and many of us have felt that over the last few years since we've launched Freedom Online and then in person. It's really hard when you uproot from your own church family, with friends and family that you love so dearly, and you move into another place. It's hard when you uproot your home and move to another city, even if it's one that you're a little bit familiar with. And when I was preparing this preach, I was really feeling how hard it was. It's been a really stressful time with estate agents. So if those of you who don't know, Brian, my husband, and my daughter Matilda and myself are going to plant a church in Birmingham soon. That has sold, we've accepted an offer. But I tell you what, estate agents, God loves them. He really loves them. He really does. And I'm learning too. But it's also really hard going to Birmingham nearly every Saturday or sometimes midweek in a real rush to go and see a house because the market down there is going so quick. But we also know when we're doing that we're probably going to have to go again because somebody else will about bid us. There's a financial cost to those trips too and the physical cost of driving hundreds of miles the day before a breach. It's tiring, it's hard. And as I was talking this through with God, I felt him saying, it's hard and I am with you. Yes, you are. Yes, you are. When God is at the centre of our lives, our plans, our obedience, things might still be very painful, they might be hard and costly, but they are filled with the assurance 
of us serving the King of Kings. I'm not planting a church in Birmingham because I fancy it. I love home. It took me a while to love home when I moved here from the Midlands, but I love it. I love you all. It's hard. But I'm doing it because that's what God has asked us to do. I'm choosing to walk in that obedience to what God is asking us to do as a family. But I wouldn't be walking the talk if all I did was talk about church planting and then not do it. So if I preach about the nations and reaching communities, I've got to do it. Now perhaps Freedom Church here will be the church you serve at and you belong to for all of the rest of your days. That's amazing. Stay here and act obediently and faithfully to God. How you walk the talk is so important. When you're with your friends and family, do you live a life that is walking the talk? They may know that you come to church every Sunday, but how you conduct yourself, what your character is like, will speak far more than you say you're a Christian. Do you get drunk with them over the weekend? Do you have sex outside of marriage? Do you swear? Do you think horrible thoughts about people? Do you gossip? Now I know some of those things I've done and I have walked away from, I've chosen to follow Jesus because it is vital that I live a life where I'm authentic, where I'm walking the talk. And there will be other things that God will say, Sarah, that is not for my glory. And I will go, I am sorry, God, I choose you. It's so important for us to be like Noah, to be obedient to what God is asking us to do. That we walk the talk. To not just say the things we say, but live them out too. To have faith that acts accordingly and obediently. So my second point is eyes on the prize. Noah kept going. He didn't stop. He kept his focus on God. Not only do we see here that Noah was obedient and living his life in obedience while preaching to others and preparing for what is to come, we also see that God did the same. We see that God is trustworthy. When he says something is going to happen and it will come to pass, it will happen. Even if it's a frightening thing, like wiping the earth with a flood. Noah was moved with fear. The writer in Hebrews calls that holy fear. Or maybe you were a bit like me, thinking, what on earth is a holy fear? Now, it might be something that is talking about fear itself, being scared. But more often than not, it's responding in a sense of awe and submission to God. Holy fear, fear of God, is to give God complete amazement, to acknowledge who he is. That he is nothing like man, but he is awesome. He's incredible. He is the king of kings. Being obedient is really hard too. I'm reminded of this not only in my life, when I choose or try to choose not being obedient, but it's becoming more, I'm becoming more aware of it in raising a child. Now I try to be a mom that explains things rather than just saying, no, stop. Matilda loves to be told, she loves to be told the reason why she's got to stop doing something. It can be really exhausting. And my daughter is fantastic. She's at home with her dad, who's not very well this morning, so I thought I would add to his morning by keeping her at home. She's kind, she's loving, she's brave, and she is utterly determined. She has so much determination, 
never seen anything like it in a three-year-old before. And we're really trying to hone that character trait for her, whilst remembering that she is just three. Now, when she was getting more confident about walking, and as we started to walk her to nursery, she goes to a nursery in a school, she wanted some more independence, so she didn't want to hold my hand all the time. I'm like, please hold my hand, I love you. I want to keep you safe too. She's like, no, mum, I'm gonna walk. I'm gonna walk ahead of you. You can stay there, catch me up. We had to though, teach her about road safety. So if she wasn't gonna hold our hands on the walk, we had to teach her that sometimes it can be really dangerous if we're not being safe. Now she needs to be obedient to us in order to keep her safe. If she walks on the road, there's a real risk, there's a real awful consequence that could happen. But it's extremely challenging to teach a three-year-old that when they can't see that consequence, when they don't know if that's gonna happen. And I'm not gonna show her a video of that happening either. She has to trust what I say is true, and that I am obedient too, that I don't walk on the road. If she sees me walking on the road, I undo all of that teaching. And this is the same for when we are teaching our friends and family and one another about God. We must align ourselves in obedience to what God is asking of us. And if you're unsure of what that would look like, Start by reading the New Testament, about, starts about halfway through the Bible, and it's full of stories of Jesus. And Jesus tells us all of the things about living in obedience and without sin. So we know that Noah walked with God. Do you feel like you walk with God throughout the day, keeping your eyes and ears fixed on him? I know I don't always. How amazing would it be to feel so close to God and not doubt that you were alone, that you had somebody all the time that you could talk to? Perhaps you're a little bit like me. So perhaps you have your devotional times, that's your time with just you and God in the day. Maybe you pray throughout the day too. Maybe when you remember or maybe when someone's just cooked you up as you're driving. Or when you're talking about estate agents and asking God to help you love them. But perhaps you go on autopilot a little bit like me. You start your day, have your devotional time, you get your coffee. And then for the 12th time you are shouting at your child, get your shoes and coat on, please. And you forget to talk about God. Forget that you can walk with God. Maybe your morning isn't full of shouting 12 times about shoes and coats. I really hope you don't have that to come with Hudson. I really hope he is so much more obedient with that. <laughs> Margaret's shaking her head. <laughs> but I do wonder if you've got some similarities when you go on autopilot. But the incredible thing, though, is that we get to walk with God throughout all of our day. He's available to us. It's that easy. We just say hello and we can talk to him and listen to what he has to say. I was reminded of how uh, a few years ago when Matilda was a toddler, I would talk to her throughout every day. It would be a running dialogue of the things that I was doing. It helps her learn language, it helps her learn kind of our routines and things. So I would say, right, we're going to tidy up now. See this yellow brick? We're going to put this in this blue box. Right now, come with me to make a cup of tea. 
See how we put the water in? Now we flip the switch. You get the idea. Now maybe your conversations with God don't need to be as descriptive as, look at this yellow brick, Jesus. But it really is that easy. It could be something like this. Hi God, right, I'm here, I've had church this morning, now I'm going to cook a meal for my friends. But I am knackered after serving this morning and working a full week at work. But God, I want this meal to be about you and them and not about me. So God, what do you want to say to me that will encourage them later? Then you take a moment, you listen to what God has got to say to you for your friends that you're invited around. You take note. And then you're obedient over lunch and you share that encouragement with your friends. You go, thank you God, I'm going to do that. Help me to be obedient. Help me to bring up these encouragements over the dinner table. Perhaps you might then move on after thanking God for those words of encouragement too. Please give me confidence in my ability to cook as well. But it is constantly keeping our eyes on the prize, keeping our eyes on Jesus. The writer, commend, the writer of Hebrews commends Noah for acting today in view of what was coming tomorrow. And we also know what is coming and how it should impact our day. We know that Jesus is going to come back. We know that he is going to return. Noah's obedience persevered. It kept going. He kept his eyes on Jesus. I love this line that I'm about to say. A theologian called Charles Spurgeon once said that by perseverance, the snail reached the ark. I wonder if you've ever thought about that. I hadn't until I started to look into Noah and his story. But the snail, the snail got on the ark. Two of them. So we too can learn from Noah's obedience. He would not give up. His days would have been chopping, sawing, hauling, preaching, planning, hoisting, hammering, some more sawing, some more preaching. And it would continue like that through all of his days, over decades. Now we live in an age where everything needs to be instant. Okay, God, you've said to build an ark, I'm gonna go to the showroom and then pick one up and it'll be completely how I want it. In fact, it might even have a bit of luxury of heated seats on offer. Doesn't work like that in Noah's time. And God doesn't work like that either. Sometimes God might ask you to be obedient by praying for somebody. And you pray for them and they are healed in that moment. Amazing. Well done for being obedient to God. Incredible. Absolutely amazing. Sometimes he asks you to look after somebody for 20 years as they go through the ups and downs of life. Amazing. Well done. That is incredible. You have been obedient to God. Not one of those acts of obedience is greater than the other. They are both being obedient to God. So let Noah and Mr. Snail, Mrs. Snail, who made it onto the ark, remind you to be obedient. Keep doing what God is asking you to do. You know, outside of Noah's own family, nobody listened to him. Nobody else joined them on the ark. Noah was the pastor of a very, very small church. No one outside of his family entered through that door. But he faithfully persisted over those decades. And he continued to do what God had asked him to do, despite 
what the what results occurred, or maybe actually didn't occur. But neither Noah nor you or I are going to be judged and rewarded on our results. Did you know that? It doesn't matter how big Freedom Church gets. It's not the end result. It's the fact that we're obedient. We're here. We're serving North Hall. We continue to serve God. There might be distractions in your days. There might be things around you that you're like, oh, that temptation, that is tempting. But it is vital for us to keep our eyes on the prize, on Jesus, and live obediently to him. It is all too easy to fall into the trap of sin, to fall into the trap of temptation. To get caught up in the ways of the world, drinking excessively with friends, gambling, swearing, being cynical, living in sexual sin, being lazy, lacking self-control, there's a whole list of things. But the results of those things are to be far away from Jesus, and that means an eternal life of judgment. It means an eternal life without God close by. And it can be really hard to keep your eyes fixed on Jesus. Everybody's life has ups and downs. Keeping our eyes on Jesus, keeping our eyes on the prize, because we know that the best is yet to come. We know we will have eternal life with him, free from illness, free from sin, free from temptations, free, oh, amazing. And we too should live with that holy fear that Noah had. We know that Jesus is going to return. We know that God will judge. We know that he is awesome, that he is king of kings. And if you're in doubt of who God is, we have just finished a series called He Is, and all of the talks are on our website. Do take a listen to them. They are so, so good. So we've looked at Noah's story walking the talk and keeping our eyes on the prize. So I'd like us to spend some time responding in prayer.